You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, it is a privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning. And I don't know if you know this or not, but The Brook has a ton of storage areas across this campus. If you have ever wondered what in the world is on top of Building 4, well, it is the largest um, storage space in all the county. I truly believe that. And that's just one of our storage areas that we have. Another storage area is in our back office building. And as you come into that trailer, you find an office space that used to be filled with whiteboards, old TVs, T-shirts, and countless amounts of books. And every time I remember going into that room for really the past couple of years, uh, my eye is I would go in there to catch an office or, or use supply would always uh, go to a computer bag like this. And I know what you might be thinking, what in the world, Chip? Who cares? It's just a computer bag. Everyone has one of those. And you're right about that. But you see, to me, this is more than just a computer bag because it reminds me of a God-sized Um, story that I got to be a part of a couple of years ago here at the Brook. It all started the winter of 2013 when a couple by the name of Myron Venicio came and visited us and a lot of their other stateside partners. Um, You see, Myron Venicio, they owned and operated a school named Kairos that our church had partnered with for many years. Um, And this school was located just 10 minutes outside of the city of Antigua in Guatemala. And one Saturday night while they were here, Brian and Sue and a couple others had dinner with them. And during their, during their time together, Brian decides to ask them, and, and especially Myra, what does your school need? And Myra immediately responded, we need um, 15 computers for our computer lab. And as I was talking to Brian a little bit more about that night, he gave me some kind of inside info. And he said, right after she said that, immediately he felt the Spirit say, this isn't really big enough for me to receive the glory and the worship that I deserve. So Brian responded back, what about 50? All right, so just so we're tracking, that's a huge difference. Like that's three times more than what she was asking. 15, and now we just trumped it and we're going to 50. And so I remember coming in to that worship service the next morning and sitting down in a seat like where you are and hearing Myra share all that God was doing in and through their school and then Brian presenting this God-sized vision before our church. And as I heard it for the first time, I started thinking, oh, snap, like this is huge. Like I want to be a part of this. But then in the back of my mind, I was also thinking, I have no idea if this is even actually possible. Because you see, this vision didn't just mean we were going to need more computers and a lot of them. It also meant that we would need more plane tickets because we were going to need more team members. And not just any team member, we were going to need team members that had the ability and the know-how to put a network like this together for a school like Kairos. It also meant we were going to need more supplies, more wire, more modems, more routers to get the job done. We'd also need master craftsmen like Chad and myself to build the most rickety tables you have ever seen on the face of the earth to actually go in of all places, the computer lab, which by the way, like after a month, they threw them away and built better tables. So that tells you how great they were. And it also meant we needed computer bags like this one. And while at times I'm sure that all of us thought at our church, And this isn't going to happen 
as weeks turned into months and still we were nowhere close to those 50 computers, all we could do as a church family was rest and the fact that this was God's vision for our church. And because it was God's vision, it meant that God would supply and it would be accomplished only through him supplying. And sure enough, just months before our trip, God used David and Nancy Smith's daughter, Callie, um, she, he moved her to Atlanta to work for a company that I'm sure you've heard of before called HP. They know a little bit about computers. And mind you, Kelly doesn't even work there anymore. She works at Chick-fil-A Corporation in Atlanta. So we're already praying, hey, is there a God-sized vision we need to ask now? Like Chick-fil-A sandwiches for the youth for the lifetime. I would take that. But Callie, just a few months into the job, she walks into HP and asks them to donate the computers. And believe it or not, they don't just donate a couple, but they, they donate all the computers, 50 brand new laptops. But that isn't all that happened. God provided that amazing team that we needed, led by Dan Brooks, to set up a wire and run routers and modems. Um, and I remember them spending endless hours after their normal job coming up here just to prepare and make sure that they were ready and that they would have a network ready to go that would rival the arsenals once it got over to Kairos. And then God even provided these computer bags that we needed to take all those computers over. And in September of 2014, a team from the Brook left and they headed over to Kairos to invest in teachers, to deliver the 50 computers and to set up a network. And looking back, all I can say is only God. Only God could have done all of that. And maybe some of you were a part of that story. And over and over again, you saw God's continual faithfulness to accomplish his vision. But even if you weren't, maybe at some point in your life, you could look back and see a time where you could say, man, God did that. God accomplished his vision. Maybe you got to be a part of it. Maybe it happened through one of your extended family or a ministry that you have partnered with. But all you could say is only God. Only God could have orchestrated all that. Only God could have put all the puzzle pieces together at just the right time to use just the right people to accomplish his will. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the Israelites as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus, and we are going to see that they are no different. As you remember, uh, God has told the Israelites, it's time to leave Mount Sinai and it's time to go to the promised land. But before they go, God renews his covenant with them. And he also tells Moses, I will go with you. And after 40 days and 40 nights of Moses being on the mountaintop, he comes down the mountain with two new tablets in hand, but he also has a new look about him. Moses has been with God. He's actually seen the back side of God and scripture tells us his face glowed. Moses was never the same again. And so he comes down from the mountain and he gathers the people to him and he tells them all that the Lord has commanded. And this is where we pick up today. So if you have your Bible... Open it with me to Exodus 35. And we're going to be looking at Exodus 35 and Exodus 36. So let's pick up in verse 4. It says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linens. Goat's hair, tan ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. 
and onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And if we were to continue to read in verse 10, we'd see that Moses goes on and tells them all that the Lord has commanded them to make from the tabernacle to the ark with its poles, to its table, to the lampstand, the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering all the way down to the garments that uh, Aaron and his sons would use as the priest of the tabernacle. And then we jump into verse 20. It says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. And if we were to jump over into verse 29, we would see that it echoes really the same thing that we just read, obviously stressing to us the importance that the Israelites not only heard the command, but they responded and they brought an offering back to God. And this would have been things that were valuable to them. They would have brought back signet rings and they would have brought back earrings and gold, things of gold and silver and bronze, goat skins, ram skins and scarlet yarns and fine linen. But they bring this offering back to God is exactly as God has commanded them to do. And then we move on into Exodus 36 and we see what they did with this offering. Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. So we read in 36 that the people respond, they bring the offering, and God supplies the skilled craftsmen to accomplish this vision of building a tabernacle. And he uses especially these guys like Bezalel and Oliab, who really are the foremen of overseeing the building of the tabernacle. And if, you're, if you continue to fast forward through the book of 36, we see the details that go into building this tabernacle. You see, God is not a God of generalities to accomplish his vision. He's going to say, here's my vision and here are the details of how you are going to accomplish the vision. And so we see, he tells them in 36, what the curtains are supposed to be made of, what the clasp for the curtains are supposed to be made of, the length of the curtains, what the rods and and the frame of the tabernacle are supposed to be made of. And on and on again, we see the details that go into building this tabernacle and the people respond and they start building it. And what we've seen from what we've just read is this overarching idea that you cannot miss this morning. God's vision equals God's provision. In other words, God's vision is always accomplished through his provision. This is all God's doing. Notice God is the one who supplies the vision. This isn't something man-made that we come up with. No, he supplies the vision, but he also supplies the provision that is needed to accomplish his vision. It's all his doing. So how does he accomplish his vision? He accomplishes it through his people. In the two chapters we just read, God is the one who initiates the building plan of the tabernacle, while it is the Israelites who must undertake the task of actually building it. You see, God is not in the business of outsourcing to meet his vision. He's not looking for the lowest bidder. It has always been that God will use his people and his children to accomplish his vision, always and for all time. And this is what happens in this passage, and it still happens this way today. And what we learn from this text is he accomplishes his his vision 
through us and the Israelites in two ways, through our offerings and also through our talents. So let's look at the first one for a second, our offerings. The Lord has commanded the Israelites to bring an offering back to him. And, and the people respond. And while this was a command that was, that was given, it was to be done voluntarily out of a generous heart. You give only if you want to give. He did not require it. That is why even in verse 29, if we were to look at it, it would say a free will offering. And what do you know? The Israelites respond. They bring back their possessions and they also bring back the possession of their time. Because you see, it would have, it would have spent, it would have meant they would have had to use a lot of their time to go and gather all that God required and bring it back to him as an offering. But it definitely would have taken a lot of time for them to build this tabernacle and everything that was going to go into it. So the Israelites respond and they respond generously. And if you were to look up that word generous in the dictionary, you would find that it means to give freely without limits. And the Israelites, they demonstrate that. They didn't put a cap on what they were supposed to bring. We don't read that they just, the couples went away and they started trying to calculate how little they could give just to please God just enough so they could get by. No, they give generously back to God because here's why. They ultimately knew that everything that they had was his in the first place. That's why we read in Exodus 35 at least three times, verse four and five, verse 20 and 21, and verse 24, the Lord's contribution. The Israelites knew that everything that they had was because of him. He was their provider and he owned it all. And so they couldn't help but come back to God and give generously back to him what was already his in the first place. And in the same way, we can respond the exact same way because we know that what we have is from him and it's ultimately for him. He is our provider. Everything that I have is not, be, is not because of me, but it has everything to do with my God. And so the greatest offering that you and I should desire to bring back to God is this offering of our possessions. And boy, I don't know of two any greater in our day and time than the possessions of our money and our time. I mean, let's just look at money. Everyone says that everyone has to have it. Everyone likes it. And I'm sure you've said like me before, if only I had more, my life would maybe be better or different, or I finally could get that thing that I've always wanted that I believe somehow will make my life easier or better. And so we spend endless amounts of times consuming and working for more and more money, money to save and money to buy more possessions and go on vacations with. But it doesn't stop there. Take our time. Everyone has the exact same amount. It's all precious to us, but yet, even though it's precious, we fill it with busyness. And most of it is good stuff. Things we have to do. We got to go to work. Students have got to go to school. There's extracurricular activities. We got hobbies. Then you got to add in socializing. But what happens is all that busyness leads us to the point of saying, if only I had more time. And going, where did all the time go? And here's what happens, because these are two greatest possessions if we're not careful. We go, this is my time, this is my money, and we have a tight grip on it. And nobody, nobody is going to tell us how to use our time and our money. And so we plan our calendar how we choose to. So we look at our calendar, we look at our weekend, and we go, this is what I want to accomplish. This is what I want to do. And nobody's going to tell me otherwise. 
our money. I've worked hard for it. I put in the sweat and the tears to work for this money. It is mine and I have this tight grip on it. And so nobody's going to tell me how to spend it. Nobody's going to tell me who to give it to. It is mine. And what happens if we're not careful is all of a sudden that tight grip all of a sudden says, I am the king of it. This is my money. This is my time. I control the shots and what I'm going to do with it. But what if today we're reminded that everything we have, especially those two, are really not ours? They're our gods. And what if we just started coming back to God and bringing it back to God as an act of worship rather than things to be worshiped? What if we said, hey, God, here's my time. It is yours. Take it and use it. Hey, God, here's my money and my possessions. Really, they're yours in the first place that you have blessed me with. Take it and use it. Hey, God, this very breath that you just gave me and you just gave us out in this room, it is a gift from God that I don't deserve it. So would you take my time? Would you take my money? Would you take my possessions? And would you use it to advance your kingdom and to make much of your name? And so as a result, when we see that everything we have is because of him, Not only do we desire to give generously, but we also desire to give back cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the Israelites, they did just that. They gave generously and they gave generously and cheerfully. And here's why. Because they knew who their God was. Their God was the one who'd called them out of Egypt and redeemed them. If he hadn't, they would still be slaves in Egypt. Their God is the one who had provided for them over and over and over again, who had gone before them and behind them, who had renewed his covenant with them, even in the midst of their unfaithfulness and said, I will still go with you. And because they knew who their God was, because they had tasted and seen that he was good and he was their redeemer, it welled up within them this desire to not just give generously, but to say, God, I can't wait to give back to you. And in the exact same way this morning as God's children, we should have this desire to give back generously and to give cheerfully because we have tasted and seen that our God is good. He is our redeemer and savior. He is faithful. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He provides for us. And so it should well up within us this desire to bring back our possessions and our time and our money as an act of worship. And here's the cool thing about it is that not only do we want to give generously and cheerfully, but while the command is there, we don't have to be commanded because when we've seen who God is and we've seen how great and glorious and wonderful he is, we can't help but have just this desire welling up within this man going, I can't wait to respond. I can't wait to give back to God because again, I know who he is. I've seen him and I know it already is his that he has blessed me with. So I'm ready to give back to God. And so we don't have to give reluctantly. We don't have to give begrudgingly. We don't have to sit there and calculate, well, I'll just give a little, just enough to get by so God isn't upset with me. And instead, it's just this this desire that wells up. It goes, I cannot wait to give back to him. But God doesn't just use their offering in this text to accomplish his vision. He also uses their talents. Jump back with me to 35 verse 10. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all 
that the Lord has commanded. Now jump over to verse 25. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. Now go back to 36.1. Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Did you catch it? And all those verses we see God uses men and women and the skills that he has given them, the intelligence and the know-how that he has given them to accomplish his vision. And he uses this name by, man by the name of Bezalel, who in my mind, I would consider the first ever Chip Gaines. I mean, let's be honest, guys. Chip Gaines can do it all, okay? But he can do it all. I mean, he was the first one. I mean, we would read at the end of 35, Moses calls out Bezalel and says, see, the Lord has given him the ability, the intelligence, the know-how, and the craftsmanship to not only do all this stuff, but to oversee and to teach others how to build the tabernacle. I mean, the brother could even weave. I don't know any guy that can weave, okay? And if you can rock on, keep doing it, praise the Lord for it. But that ain't me. And God didn't just use him and he didn't just use their offering and just say, Hey, good luck. You're on your own to try to figure this out and put it all together. No, he also supplied the workers with just the right talent to accomplish what he was calling them to build, which was the tabernacle. And God wants to use the talents that he has given you this morning to accomplish his vision. And Matthew 25 14 through 30, we read of this parable that Jesus tells. And you don't have to turn there, but I'd encourage you at some point to look at it. But in this, in this passage, we see Jesus is telling a parable about a master who's about to go on a long journey. And so he calls three of his servants to him and he entrusts them with a sum of money before he leaves. And this sum would have been a different amount And we see he gives a different amount to each one based off of their talents and their abilities. And after he gives the talent to them, he heads out on his trip. And it's important to note that the master that Jesus is referring to really is himself. But also the talents that he gives them, he's doing it willfully and freely. He's not obligated to give his servants any money at all. And while each servant is given a different amount, each amount is still significant and it's still valuable. And just so you know, when you read and you hear about those talents, so often I think, at least in my mind, we want to go, well, that was just a small amount of money in our day and time, maybe $50, maybe $100, no big deal. Well, most commentaries say that not only was it a huge sum in that day and time, but even in our day and time, it would have been a six-figure amount. So it was a large sum. It was very valuable. So the master calls the servants to him and to the first servant, he gives five talents and that servant, he goes and he puts it to work and he invests it and he gets a return of five more talents. The second servant gives, gets two talents and he does likewise and he receives two more talents. But the third servant we read, he doesn't do the same thing as the other two. He uses an excuse and he goes ahead and buries his out of fear. And so the master returns and he calls the servants to him and he asks them to give an account for what they have done with his money. 
And after hearing from the first two, he says to each of them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will give you more responsibilities. This is what we all should desire to hear as his servants. But to the third servant, he calls him wicked and lazy. But it doesn't just stop there because there's a warning for us there. He not only calls him wicked and lazy, but he also takes the one talent that he was given and he gives it to the first servant the master does. And then he casts this servant out into utter darkness to a place of gnashing of teeth, as scripture says, which would have meant hell. You see, this servant could play the game, could talk the talk, but ultimately this servant never knew Jesus at all. He had never had a relationship with him because ultimately it goes back down to if you know to know him is to love him and to want to be used by him. When you come to Jesus Christ and you enter into a relationship with him, you are now a part of his workforce. So this parable, while you could use it to talk about money, it really isn't about money. Rather, it has everything to do with the talents that God has given each of us. That English word, talents, and even its meaning come from Matthew 25. It comes from this parable. And the definition doesn't actually deal with money. Think about it this way. If you've ever watched The Voice or America's Got Talent and you hear this amazing singer, maybe you want to say they've got talent. And when you say that, you're not saying, man, they are rich. They have got a lot of money. Instead, what you are saying is that they have a special ability or skill that allows them to do something well. That is actually the definition of a talent. And so you see what the heart of of what Jesus was getting at in this passage is that we should take the opportunities, the skills, the gifts, our ability, our time, even our spiritual gifts, and we should put them to work and we should steward them well, that they would be used for his kingdom. And the one who stewards his talents and his abilities well are the ones that go and take their gifting and use it for his kingdom. And so don't miss this this morning. God has given you talents to invest them and to put them to work for his kingdom, not for them to simply waste away. Remember, when you come to Jesus, you now enter into his workforce, which means there is no such thing as sitting on the sidelines and watching everyone else do the work. You are now part of his workforce. And I get it. You may look around, some of your friends, or you may even see like a guy like Tim Tebow, and you go, man, They are really using their gifts and their talents and their abilities well. And they've got a lot more talent than I do. I mean, just take Tim Tebow. I mean, the man won a Heisman at Florida in the national championship. He plays in the NFL for a little bit, which 99% of Americans will never do. Then he goes on and he's still a commentator on ESPN. And he still has the time to somehow play baseball and give God the glory there. And then he would even go to all these conferences and speak for thousands of people. And maybe you want to start comparing yourself and your abilities and your talents and how God has wired you. And you go, I'm not like him. Or maybe it's just even one of your own friends. And you go, man, they've got a lot better talents and abilities and gifting than me. And so what you want to do is you want to hang your head. And you want to go, you know what? I'm just not going to use my talents. I just work this desk job from eight to five. Who am I? God can't use me. And I want to encourage you this morning. Stop comparing. Because we don't, in that parable, we never see the servants compare. 
We never see the servant stop and say, hey, hold on, master. Let, let me get this straight. Like, why in the world did you give that guy five, but you give me only two? What in the world are you doing? They don't compare. They don't ask questions. The first two just take the talents, the abilities that they have, and they start putting them to use. And maybe this morning you need to remember that the talents that he's given you, the abilities that he has given you, or a gift from the creator God, and he's given them to you so that you would put them to use. So I want to ask you this question. What are you doing with the talents God has supplied you with? Are you investing your talents well? For some of you, you're gifted in math. I I knew a long time ago that was not my gifting. Some of you are gifted in building. Some of you gifted in designing and fashion and gardening and hospitality and teaching. And we could go on and on. But that is how God has wired you. But here's the thing. He gave you those things never to advance your kingdom. He he never gave you those things so that you would go down in the history books and make a lot of money. Especially students, even right now, he's given you talents and abilities and he said, I want you to use them and I want you to invest them well and I want you to put them to use for my kingdom and to proclaim my glory. So let your light shine brightly by how you're using your talents. And so then the text we see, it would go on and tell us that those with generous hearts, whose hearts have been stirred, whose spirit moved them, brought a free will offering back to God. And the only ones who buy into his vision today are those whose hearts have been stirred. God is the one who stirs hearts. God stirred the Israelites' hearts and so they respond and God still stirs our hearts. And here's the thing. Once he stirs our hearts, we are called to respond. Which leads us to this question. Are we going to see and respond to the vision that he gives us? Let's be clear. In verse in Exodus 35 and 36, the vision was to build a tabernacle, the place where God would reside among his people. But it had to be pitched and it had to be taken down every single time that they were traveling on their journey. But then all of a sudden we fast forward to the gospels and we come to John 1:14 and we read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt in this passage literally means tabernacled or pitched his tent among us. God in the flesh has come down to dwell among us. Isn't that what we're about to celebrate? And now because of his precious blood, that was shed on our cross, we can now come into a relationship with him. And when I come into a relationship with him, I then become God's temple, mind blown. But I become God's temple because his Holy Spirit now dwells in me. That is why it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. So now we don't need a physical tabernacle. We are God's temple. And as God's temple, we have been given his vision. And so just for a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds, I actually want to remind you of what God's vision is because I think so often we replace it with our vision. Somehow we think that we know what is better than God. So here's what his vision is. His vision is that we go and make disciples, not just pastors, but all of us. 
that every tribe, tongue, and nation hear the gospel. And guess what? It will happen as we read at the end. His vision is to take care of the widowed and the orphan, that those who are hungry are fed, that those who are thirsty have something to drink. And this may seem daunting to us at times, and we want to go, there is no way that this is going to happen. How in the world can we accomplish this? We can only accomplish this if God comes through, and we would be absolutely right in saying that. Because remember, God's vision equals God's provision. And so check out what happens in Exodus 36, starting in verse 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So how cool was this? The people hear God's command and they respond and they bring an offering back to God. But they don't just do it once and wash their hands and say, okay, we're done with it. We've done their part. No, they've seen and they tasted who their God is. And so they can't help but just keep bringing more and more and more back to God to the point Moses has to give the command, actually restrain them and say, we have enough. Please stop bringing it. We got enough to accomplish this vision. And I want to remind you, church family, today, God has given you and I more than enough to accomplish his vision. So could it be this Christmas and going into the new year that we love enough, that we give enough, that we respond in such a way that the pastors have to stand before us and say, we have enough. We have enough to accomplish his, his vision, which means we have enough as a church family to pay off our debt and then to rebuild. We have enough to end childhood hunger in our city, in our county, and even to Northeast Alabama. We have enough that the foster care system has to close its doors because they're not needed anymore. We have enough for the gospel is being translated in every tongue. We have enough, but there's a catch. You only enough only happens when God's plan is seen greater than your plan. You see, the reason why my eye would always catch these computer bags when I'd walk into that storage space in that back office building is because we had enough. They were just excess from what God had already supplied. And we didn't just have one. We had like six or seven extra computer bags that just sat in there. We had more than enough. So I want to ask you again, are you going to see and respond to the vision that he gives us? God has given us the vision and he is the one that supplies the provision and he will use his people. So now we must respond by using our talents, our time, our possessions, our money, and bring them back to God as an act of worship because they are not ours. And you and say, God, here, use these to advance your kingdom. I love what Paul David Tripp says. He says, God is not satisfied with informing you about the work of his kingdom. He transforms you to participate in the work of his kingdom. 
So will you respond? Will you participate? God wants to use you and God wants to use the brook to do God-sized things. And how cool would it be to hear somebody from the outside looking in to go, how in the world could a church that meets in a tent do all of that? I mean, how cool would it be to be a part of something like that, that is God-sized, that literally all you could do and all I could do was say, only God, only God could have orchestrated all that. He wants to use us to accomplish his vision. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.